Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Romans chapter 8, verses 28 to 30. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that we might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Romans chapter 8 and verse 28 may be one of the most well-known, most loved and most quoted verses in the Bible. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. I've seen it written on greetings cards and posted on social media feeds. I've heard it quoted by Christians going through hard times and quoted to Christians going through hard times. It's a verse that has brought great comfort to many, and it should. And yet, while it might be one of the most known, most loved and most quoted verses in the Bible, I reckon it might also be one of the most misunderstood And when misquoted, as it often is, most hurtful and damaging. I'm thinking of someone going through a really difficult time and a well-meaning but ill-judged Christian says to them, ah, well, all things work together for good for those who love God. That kind of insensitive Bible quoting is like a kick in the shins when life is hard enough as it is. And even when it's not quoted insensitively, quoting this verse can be so very misleading. If we don't know what the good is that God is doing in verse 28, quoting this verse can sound as if we're promising that difficult situations will all work out in the end in this life. So Gillian breaks up with her fiancé and she is brokenhearted. But then moments, uh, months later, she meets another man and they fall in love and in time they get married and have children. And Gillian looks back relieved that she didn't marry her first fiancé. And as she recalls her story to a younger friend going through a relationship breakup, she says, it's Romans 8. All things work together for good for those who love God. And the younger friend is left believing that She will find Mr. Wright and will have a happy ever after marriage. Jack goes for a job interview for his dream job. Ahead of the interview, he's led to believe that the job is all but his. But inexplicably, he doesn't get the job. However, it's not long afterwards that he's offered another job, a job that he would never have gone for had he been given the first job. And he not only loves the new job... But as the years go by, all manner of opportunities open up for him. His career flourishes. He becomes a respected expert in his field. He's asked to speak at conferences all over the world. And then, as a guy in his 40s, he stands up in church and tells his story and says, I can testify to the truth of Romans chapter 8, that all things work together for good for those who love God. Now, don't mishear me here. Of course, I believe that God does providentially work so that when relationships break up or job opportunities break down, he guides us and leads us into other things. Uh, Of course, we can look back and see how the sovereign Lord overrules so that sometimes things work out better for us than we ever thought they could. But that's not the point of Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. Nowhere in the Bible is the Christian promise that when we're going through tough times, everything's going to be okay in the end in this life. 
Nowhere in the Bible can the Christian claim that we'll not only pull through, but we'll come out the other side smiling, healthy and comfortable and better off than ever before. That's not the promise here. Sometimes we suffer terrible things and our situation never gets better, never gets resolved in this life. That's true for Christians in the West and it's certainly true for Christians all over the world who are suffering for their faith. This verse doesn't promise that if we just hang on in there, we'll look back one day and be able to say that it all worked out in the end in this life. That said, this is a wonderful verse and it is deeply encouraging when we understand it. So let's put it in its context and discover its riches. In these last weeks, from verse 18 of Romans chapter 8, we've been confronted with the suffering of a world in apparent chaos. Now, now that we've, uh, not that we've needed Romans chapter 8 to tell us about suffering and chaos, it's all around us through this pandemic in the appalling events of a street in Minneapolis when George Floyd was murdered, last weekend in Reading when three people were stabbed to death as they sat enjoying some lockdown freedom. And in millions of ways in everyday lives all over the world, we live in a world full of suffering and seeming chaos. And we feel the pain of living in a broken world of suffering through illness and racism and terrorism and death. And so verses 18 to 22, the creation itself is groaning as it waits for the redemption of God's children. And verse 23, we God's children groan as we wait for full, final and forever adoption into the presence of our heavenly father in the glorious new creation. We long for that day to come when we'll finally be free from everything that this life that is so hard and painful. That's what we've been seeing in these last weeks in Romans chapter eight. The question is, as we wait for that final day, is there any meaning in the seeming chaos of life? And to that question, there is a resounding yes here in verse 28. Yes, God is at work. Oh yes, the creation is creaking and we're suffering, but God is still working in and through all things. God is even working in and through this fallen, broken, suffering world, and he's working for our good, verse 28, for the good of those who love him and who've been called according to his purpose. But it's crucial that we understand what this, this good is. What good is God working through all the suffering of this world? And the answer is in verse 29. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that, we, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. The good that God is working is that we become more and more like Jesus. Listen to the words of the Bible teacher and author David Cook. He explains that those God foreknew and predestined, quote, God gave a destiny that they should be like Jesus. Becoming like Jesus is the good for which God works. It is not our health and comfort and wealth, but our godliness, which he promises to achieve the good work of God in and through all this chaos is to make us more like Jesus and to make us like Jesus is the greatest good that God can do for us now let me stop here for a moment because I wouldn't be at all surprised if some of us are disappointed by that maybe even annoyed by it you might not verbalize it like this but I can imagine some people thinking is that it there's all this suffering and chaos in the world 
And the only assurance I get is that God is working in and through it all to make me more like Jesus. What I need is for him to take away all the suffering and the pain and the hurt and the struggle. That would be good. Now, look, we mustn't isolate this verse as if it was the only thing the Bible has to say about how God works in and through suffering. The Bible tells us so much about what God is doing through pain and suffering. There's much to say that we simply don't have time to say this morning. But this verse tells us one of the great things God is doing in and through a suffering world, and that is the great work of making us more like Jesus, and he's doing it because he loves us. Ask any parent what they most want for their children, and I guess we get a range of answers. Uh, Some would say a good education to set them up in life. Others want their children to have a comfortable and successful life or, or a happy life or a healthy life. I don't mind telling you that beyond my children being committed Christians, which thankfully they all are, I want them to become really nice people. After that, it's just detail. Well, look, the, the greatest desire our Heavenly Father has for us is that we become like his son, Jesus. The father loves the son. The son is perfect in every way. And the father wants us to be like his son because that is the best thing for us. The more we become like Jesus, the happier, more joyful, more fulfilled and more content we'll be. The more we become like Jesus, the more we'll be a delight to be around and the more we'll positively contribute to everyone around us. Becoming like Jesus is the best thing for us and for everyone around us. And so God is committed to making all his children more and more like Jesus. Wonderfully, God is creating a huge family of Christian brothers and sisters to be like Jesus Christ. Look again at verse 29. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that we might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. God has adopted us into his family. We've seen that throughout Romans chapter 8 in these last weeks. Uh, Let me take you back through some of the verses so that we see how uh, Romans 8 is littered with family language. Verse 15, we are adopted into sonship so that we can call God Abba, Father. Verse 16, the Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Verse 17, as children, we get the family inheritance. Verses 19 and 21, Christians are called the children of God. Verse 23, we eagerly await our adoption to sonship. You see, God is creating a family. And in verse 29, the family language is used again. Verse 29, those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Jesus is the firstborn son. He, he's in a unique relationship with the father, but he's the first of many brothers and sisters. And as brothers and sisters of Jesus, and as children of our heavenly father, the spirit is working in us so that we increasingly bear the family likeness. From the first moment that the Holy Spirit starts his work in us and we become Christians, he wants to make us more and more like Jesus. But even before that, and this is mind-blowing, even before the creation of the world, God chose us in order to make us like his son. Verse 29 again, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. 
This verse takes us to eternity past, before creation, long before you were a twinkle in your parents' eye, long before your parents were a twinkle in their parents' eye, indeed long before there was any twinkling in any human parent's eyes. God chose us. And God's purpose for us from the moment he chose us was that we might become like Jesus. The first three chapters of Romans spell out for us how sinful and rebellious we are. So making us like Jesus might seem like an impossible task, but even though that seems unattainable, it will happen because, verse 30, those he predestined, he also called, those he called, he also justified, those he justified, he also glorified. Look at the logic here. If God chose you before time, before you were born, and he did, And if God called you, making you one of his own children, and if God justified you, declaring you right with him through Jesus' death, and he did, then end of verse 30, he will also glorify you. To be glorified is to be made like Jesus. Think about it. There's no one more glorious in all creation than Jesus. We will marvel at his glory for all eternity. For eternity, we'll never get bored of looking at him and and discovering the depths of his glorious character. Jesus is glorious. So to be glorified is to be like Jesus. And verse 30 assures us that we will be glorified. Just as surely as God has predestined us and called us and justified us, so we will also, he will also glorify us. He will finish the job, if I can put it that way. He will bring us to be like his son, Jesus. And that's the good work that God is doing in us, the good work of making us like Christ. And God is so magnificent that he can even use all the struggles and sufferings of this fallen, broken, sinful world to make us more and more like Jesus. How amazing is that? We're part of a a world in rebellion against God. We live in a world that seems chaotic and, and out of control. And yet God is so powerful that he can and will use all this for our good. He will use all the suffering to make us more and more like Jesus. Now, please don't confuse God's sovereignty over suffering as him being the source of suffering. There's a big difference between God using evil things in this world and him being the agent of evil things in this world. The point here is not that God brings about all this chaotic turmoil and suffering in the world, but that he will use it all for our good to make us like Jesus. And when we think about it, of course God makes us like Jesus through suffering, because Jesus himself suffered. And it is through Jesus' suffering that we see how glorious he is. There is nowhere that we see the glory of Jesus shine more brightly than as we see him suffering on a cross. And so we can become like him as we suffer. We can learn the patience and obedience of Jesus through suffering. We can learn to forgive those who cause us pain, as Jesus did through suffering. We can learn to pray for our enemies, like Jesus did while he suffered. We can learn to trust our Heavenly Father, as Jesus did through unjust suffering. We can learn to put others before ourselves, like Jesus did through suffering. Jesus was perfect and yet was publicly humiliated and unjustly accused and yet he suffered silently and with great dignity. We can learn that as we suffer. Through suffering, we can learn to become like Jesus. Now again, please don't mishear me. I'm not saying that God brings evil suffering upon us to teach us lessons and to make us like Jesus. But these three verses in Romans chapter 8 do bring us great assurance. They assure us that as we suffer in a broken world, God will use the suffering to make us more like his son.
And so as we begin to draw to a close, let me tell you about Andy as a way of grounding this. Andy was converted several decades ago, not here in Sheffield, but, but in another part of the country altogether. Andy would say, and has said publicly, that God has used the struggles and suffering in his life to make him more like Jesus. He's happy for me to tell you more about his story and to quote him. Not for a moment would would Andy suggest that he's had the hardest life, but I can tell you Andy was bereaved several times in a short space of time. He suffered long-term illness. He's had significant struggles at work. Uh, Andy says, I I sometimes wonder how life would have panned out had I not become a Christian. Before I was a Christian, I was a selfish person, he says, who was driven and ambitious. And I imagine that had I not become a Christian, I'd have left a trail of broken relationships behind me, leaving many people hurt. I imagine that I, I would have never found contentment in my career. He did very well for himself in the world of business. But he says, no matter how far I went up the ladder, I, I always wanted, before I became a Christian, to get the next promotion. Andy is the first to admit that he's far from perfect. But he says, I can tell you today that through tough times, God has made me more like Jesus. And even though I wouldn't ask for those times, I can see how God has used those times to make me more the person that I should be. He says, through bereavement, I've become more compassionate. Through illness, the Lord has helped me to learn patience and to rely on him. Suffering has humbled me. I I used to think I could take on the world. Now I realize a microscopic organism can lay me low for months. I'm not the all-conquering person I thought I was. That makes me more bearable to live with, he says, and it's changed my outlook on life. I'm not so driven. And Andy says... I can see that becoming more like Jesus is the best thing for me and for those around me, for my wife and my children, my friends and my colleagues, my neighbours. It's better for me to be like Jesus than for me to have wealth and for everything to go smoothly all the time. See, Andy is an example of how God uses the struggles of living in a suffering world to make us more like Jesus, more of the people we should be. Finally, as we think about this, just imagine being like Jesus in your character so that you never put a word out of place, so that you consistently make the right decisions, always having the best motives in your actions, being prepared to bravely stand up against evil and injustice, even if it will cost you. Think about how much more content and joyful you'd be if you were like that, like Jesus. Think about how good it would be for all those around you. Think of how good it would be for society. Being like Jesus doesn't promise an easy life. Jesus put others first. He gave himself sacrificially. He didn't live for himself. He he certainly didn't live for materialistic comfort. Jesus stood up against injustice, and that made him unpopular with with the establishment. Jesus would stand up against the injustice of racism. Jesus looked out for the poor, the marginalized, and the downtrodden. Jesus embraced undesirables. Jesus cared for the sick and the dying. Jesus forgave those who treated him appallingly, those who accused him wrongly, those who humiliated him publicly. Being increasingly like Jesus doesn't make life easy, but it's good and right, and it's wonderfully satisfying, and it brings us deep joy. And that is why our Heavenly Father is working in all things to make us more like Jesus. So know the deep comfort of these verses. 
There is nothing we can encounter today or tomorrow or this week or this year or for the rest of our lives, nothing that comes our way that God cannot use for our good to make us like Jesus and to move us towards that day when we will be finally and fully glorified. Whatever you're going through, it's not pointless. God can use it and will use it. So praise God that he is that sovereignly powerful, that he can amazingly bring good through the chaos and turmoil of living in a fallen, broken world. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you so very much that you are that good and that amazing, uh, that sovereignly powerful and that kind that you can use all things and bring all things together for our good to make us more like Jesus Christ. Please help us to believe that and indeed to, as far as we can, cooperate with you in becoming more the people that we should be. And we ask these things through Christ our Lord. Amen.